Entree Story, Episode 3. And if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to take a breath and you have to say, what's the situation I'm in? What outcome do I want? And what's the smartest move I can next make that will move forward my interests in this situation? Welcome to Entree Story, the podcast where entrepreneurs and business gurus share personal startup stories, along with insight and wisdom you can apply to your dreams and ambitions. Now, here's your host, entrepreneur, communications coach, and author, Jeff Whitaker. Well, hi, everyone. I am Jeff Whitaker. I'm your host and chief storyteller here at Entree Story. And today's guest is Peter Bregman. He is the CEO of Bregman Partners, Inc. That's a a company that works with leadership and people and organizations. And the bottom line is, and as you'll see from uh, or hear from his new book, Four Seconds, Peter Bregman is all about maximizing your time and helping entrepreneurs make the most of every day. His new book is Four Seconds, All the Time You Need to Stop Counterproductive Habits and Get the Results You Want. He's also the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, 18 Minutes, Finding Your Focus, Master Distraction, and Get the Right Things Done. He is um, a great interview, had a great time talking with him, and we want to get to that interview right away so that we don't waste any more time and, and as Peter would want us to do, maximize the most with what we've been given. Here's our interview with Peter Bregman. Peter Bregman, thanks very much for joining us today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, it's the purpose of, of our podcast here to to really give some practical advice to budding entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who, who've just started on their journey and they really want, they, they want not a shortcut, but they want some information that can help them maybe avoid some of the mistakes of others or learn from, from some of the things that others have learned who have, who have been there ahead of them. So, I guess we, we want to start off with you and ask you, as we do with all of our guests, share us your story. What's the story of Peter Bregman? How did you get to where you are today? You know, it's an interesting question and can be answered in so many different ways. I mean, I can start with my childhood back uh, when I grew up and was four years old and spilled something on myself or something. But <laughs> the uh, um, the truth is that my career, I think, has been deeply unstrategic and uh, and actually very opportunistic, meaning I was in college and I was slated to go into politics. I had been in, in high school very, very active in the political scene. Uh, and, and then I got to college and I didn't really love the way the um, public policy department in my college was uh, was run. And so I looked around to see what else I could do, and uh, my father actually gave me some very good advice. I wanted to go to France to study abroad, and he said, look, if there's something specific that you want in France, you want to study with a certain professor, you're, you're looking for something around French history that's you know very particular to studying it in France, then I support you, and I will help you to make it happen. But if you're just bored right now and you're looking for something to get you unbored by going off and doing something else, that's a situation you're going to be in for the rest of your life. You're going to constantly face that situation. And you're much better off figuring it out where you are now as opposed to running from it. And it was really wise advice. And, and so I stayed. And it took me a couple of years, but I got very involved in the outdoor program and uh, called Outdoor Action. 
and it was leading expeditions, doing some hiking and kayaking and climbing and really living in the outdoors and teaching leadership through the outdoors, outdoor leadership. I got very involved. And I loved it. I really completely fell in love with it. I fell in love with leadership. I fell in love with the outdoors. And so when I left college, I started working for Outward Bound and for Knowles National Outdoor Leadership School and running leadership programs, designing them for corporations. Uh, I eventually started my own company doing outdoor leadership and, and consulting with outdoor leadership companies to help them design their corporate programs. And I did that for a while, and then I did an amazing project that blew us all away with a consulting firm called The Hay Group. And we had uh, partnered, they uh, sort of brought me on to do a piece of it, uh, at where, and it was a, a project that really transformed the area. It was four days where we took everybody off-site. We had 600 people off-site, and, and it transformed an organization in a way that blew us all away. And they said, that was amazing, and I said, that was amazing, and they said, let's uh, kind of put our forces together and help us, uh, you know, kind of join us and lead a practice along with a bunch of other people uh, called Hay Alliances. A woman named Beth Fletcher was running it at the time, and uh, who was great. And she and I and a bunch of other people really kind of built this practice around transformational change. And and while I was doing it, I went to business school. I got an executive MBA at Columbia while I was there, uh, while I was at the Hay Group. And then I looked at myself and felt like I was really open and creative and fun, but I wasn't really professional and disciplined. So I joined Accenture, um, it was Anderson Consulting at the time, in order to, um, you know, button up. And it was really not the best environment for me. I really learned a tremendous amount working there, but I didn't, I didn't love it. And while I was there, I developed a business plan for a leadership and coaching company, which I offered to them and, and uh, they weren't so interested in it. And I went off on my own and started to build that company, which was very successful. And that company has taken a bunch of iterations. I mean, I grew it. We had offices around the world. We had... Um, coaches and and uh, around the world and and we did some really kind of interesting and cool projects but ultimately I didn't love the management aspect of it I loved the design I loved doing it I loved the intellectual thought leadership around it but I didn't love managing a hundred people and so uh, I stopped doing that and I we also struggled with uh, September 11th and we struggled um, with the crash of the dot-coms in the uh, early 2000s and so I brought it down to myself and I really started doing a lot of writing and I sort of more uh, expensive, more senior level consulting and, and coaching and advising. And, uh, and I have now over the past maybe five years um, really become enamored with a new arena of leadership that... Um, I think is really important. I feel like mostly the way leadership is is trained, is developed, is coached, is around um, the knowledge of leadership. I don't think that works. So I feel like what stops us from being leaders isn't that we don't know enough about leadership. It's the emotional courage it takes to take risky actions and to have difficult conversations and to raise undiscussables and to stand in someone else's anger and not get defensive. And these are the things that make us great leaders. And I'm really clear that this is worth spending a huge chunk of my life on. And so now for me, it's worth building another company. So each, I mean, building this company up in a different way where we're doing coaching and we're running a leadership intensive. And the point is, I know I've spoken a long time, but the point is, 
that each move was made because I was being thoughtful about where I was and what was working and what wasn't working. I didn't have a 20-year plan 20 years ago to say this is where I would be. So if people had come to you, Peter, back in college and said, this is where you would be today, you would have never guessed it. Never guessed it. Never guessed it. You made a point with, with leadership that, that I'd, I'd just like to stick on just for a second. You, you, uh, it's what you're saying that instinctively many of us know the right thing to do. We just don't have the courage to do it. For sure. And I think the courage, I'm, I specifically use the language emotional courage. So um, I, when we don't do something, it's because we're afraid of feeling something. right? So if I'm not going to have a difficult conversation with someone, Let's say you and I have to have a difficult conversation. I'm displeased with something or I'm struggling with something. Or So why do I not have the conversation? Is it because I'm worried that you'll fire me and I'll lose my job? Probably not. So what am I worried about? Well, I'm worried about feeling incompetent. I'm worried about the feeling of rejection if you blow me off. I'm worried about your anger. I'm, wor I'm worried about feeling certain things that I don't want to feel, and so I don't do the things that I need to do. And that ultimately is what limits our behavior more than anything. And so, um, yes, I think that we don't live up to our own ideas of what we need to do to be powerful leaders because we resist feeling things that are unpleasant. So is it, is it as simple as just pushing through? No, I think we actually have to get uh, um, experience, get trained, get some support in um, being willing to feel things that are really unpleasant and and feeling it. Oftentimes when we push through, we repress those feelings. And what happens then is they leak out in insidious ways. And that's when we get passive aggressive or that's when, you know, we're a bull in a china shop. And I think you actually have to feel those feelings and you have to be comfortable feeling things that are really uncomfortable to feel. Um, you know, if, if if so, it's not simply pushing through because if you simply push through, it will come out sort of awkward and ineffective, in my view. These are really important lessons for an entrepreneur, even if they're just working with themselves or two or three people within an office to start out with, and and they're interacting with just a few. Because a lot of times, in the very beginning journey of an entrepreneur. Isn't it true that you're going to have to make a lot of those tough decisions that are going to stretch you and are going to, to, to make you uh, uh, uncomfortable? For sure. And so this is what this book that's coming out, Four Seconds, um, is, is very much about, right? Which is we, we um, often respond to situations in a way that protects us, that maybe protects other people, that's out of habit, out of patterns. And our intuitive responses to a majority of the situations we face in that are challenging are counterproductive. The things that we do consistently in those situations um, that we need to address as entrepreneurs that require risk-taking, that require boldness, that require courage are counterproductive. And you don't need a tremendous amount of time to shift those behaviors, but you do need to be able to take a deep breath. You need, and we can go into some of the science of this, but you need time for your prefrontal cortex to gain cognitive control over your amygdala, right? Which means you have to be more thoughtful than you are reactive. And, and then you have to replace what is generally an ineffective, intuitive response with something that is powerful and will get you the outcome that you want. 
And that's that's not hard to do, but we have to become aware of how it works and how to do it. And now, that's really what Four Seconds is about. Now you say replace that intuitive, but isn't that kind of counter to what we've been taught? I mean, we always tell each other, you know, we tell our kids, you know, if you have this gut feeling, if you have this intuition, a lot of times the intuition means it's something you should go with. Yeah, I think it's all information, but almost always our intuition is... Um, coming from a childhood place, it's funny that you, you talk about it as a childhood place, oftentimes our intuition, our, our instinct, our intuitive way of acting comes out of a childhood place that defends our most sort of tender parts. So, for example, um, if you get angry at me and I'm acting from that intuitive place, I'm going to do what I can to diffuse your anger or I'm going to run or I'm going to get super angry at you back. And my emotional response is going to be the guiding light that determines how I act as opposed to what I'm suggesting should be your guiding light, which is take a deep breath and rather than reacting to the fact that you're really angry at me, pause and ask myself the question, what's the outcome I want here? Like, do I need your, uh, do I need a relationship with you? Do I want a relationship with you? If you're in a car and you're screaming at me from the other car, should I scream back? Well, you know, a lot of us do scream back. It's not very useful, right? I mean, it's useful if you want to raise your blood pressure, but beyond that, it's not particularly useful. Hmm. But if a client yells at you, then you have to stop. And by the way, you don't necessarily always want to give in to the client because maybe what the client's issue is 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 um, wanting something that's not the smartest thing for your business as an entrepreneur. But you have to have the presence to not react the way you would intuitively react because sometimes it'll work and sometimes it's not. But the key point is you're not in control of it because it's an intuitive knee-jerk reaction. And if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to take a breath and you have to say, what's the situation I'm in? What outcome do I want? And what's the smartest move I can next make that will move forward my interests in this situation? Well, that's a lot to consider as an entrepreneur because I know sometimes you you are drawn uh, in by your emotions, or you are you, you it's your emotions that that uh, it's a knee jerk reaction that that can get you in trouble. And um, a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you you want to see results, and so I think sometimes you force things that really aren't there, and and that's why. You know, when you talk about consultants coming in, a lot of times consultants come in and they either just listen to what you're saying or they come in and, and they walk away and you say, gee, they stated something that was the obvious. Why didn't I see that? And I think there is that advantage of getting that uh, outside opinion or that outside person, somebody that's removed from who you are to kind of help you along the way, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's why, you know, right now when I think about the business and how it's developed, it's really my writing and spreading ideas, which is what we're doing right now. It's a, a the leadership intensive, which is a really powerful leadership program that's four days. It's super intensive, and it's very much about developing emotional courage, this skill that we're talking about, that, you know, there's a, a, a you can go to the website, there's all these outcomes that people who have um, been to it uh, talk about on the website, but it's you know very much geared towards 
practical leadership in a business environment and we have a lot of entrepreneurs who go and then there's a coaching program that we have which is to help people week by week move forward in the things that are important to them where their sort of emotional intuitive reactions may uh, may take them off base and um, the truth is you're, you're saying something actually really really interesting Jeff because um, it's not just that these emotional responses get us in trouble. They are also the reason, especially for entrepreneurs, that we are so successful. Still to come. Where we let that passion ride free and where we harness it in a way because it's not helping us to get what we want to do. That takes a lot of skill, but it determines, it distinguishes the successful entrepreneurs from the ones who are not. That's next on Entree Story. Entree Story is brought to you in part by Blinkist. If you're anything like me, you're always struggling, wanting to continue to learn and uh, try to pick up new great material, but you're so busy, you're, you're busy doing the work itself, and it's a, it's a crazy juggling act, and that's why I love Blinkist. Blinkist gives you the ability to read the top business, entrepreneurial, motivational, time management books, and you only spend literally a few minutes. They take the very best business books and they summarize them in a way that's, well, let's just say it's a way to cut to the chase and give you all the good stuff. The best way to understand what I'm talking about is to check it out for free at Blinkist.JeffWhitaker.com. That's Blinkist.JeffWhitaker.com. There's no obligation. Take them for a test drive, and if you decide that you like it, well, remember the promo code JEFF20, and you'll save 20% on your first year. That's Blinkist.JeffWhitaker.com and promo code Jeff20 to save 20%. Check out the link in our show notes. We do completely unrealistic things that anyone in their right mind would say, this is crazy, don't risk that, don't do that. Like, how do you have the courage to actually do this thing? And, and we, our passion uh, fuels our willingness to take the kinds of risks that give us the potential for a huge amount of success. So on the one hand, we have this um, incredible power in our emotional responses that allow us to achieve things most other people can't. But that is also the same energy that gets us into trouble because we work harder than anybody often because we're often in situations where you know we believe so passionately what we're doing that someone who doesn't share that same passion you know is intolerable to us and so we have to know how to be elegant with it we have to be delicate we have to be um uh uh, uh distinct about where we let that passion ride free and where we harness it in a way because it's not helping us to get what we want to do. That takes a lot of skill, but it determines, it distinguishes the successful entrepreneurs from the ones who are not. Wow, Peter. You know, there's a lot of people that come to mind when when, when you say what you say that, that I'm thinking, uh, people that I've had encounters with in the past, and and to try to understand them in that in that concept that you've just laid out really actually... I mean, it opened up my mind just thinking about these people in in the way that you described them because I never looked at it that way before. Yeah, uh, thank you. It, it's um, it's amazing, and it's almost always true that our greatest gift is our greatest vulnerability. Also, I mean, mm. the thing that we're so great at is also the thing that gets us in trouble. And so, to to learn to be discriminating about how to channel it in a way that helps us to be successful but doesn't derail us is is really hard. And I mean, the reason I run the leadership intensive 
is because you need practice in that. You literally, you know, the leadership intensive is not a program where you sit around reading a PowerPoint presentation and taking notes because that ultimately doesn't affect how we act. But if you actually have an experience because you're in a situation that's really challenging and you might feel an emotion like anger or frustration or and you actually have to manage yourself in that moment, then you're learning how to build that muscle. And in very many ways, I wrote four seconds uh, in order to to give people an experience of reading something because it's written very much in a story format. It's written very much with you know stories that help show ways that I've failed in in trying to do this and things I've struggled with and alternatives that I've used that people can really take in in a way that's different than most nonfiction books. I mean, mine's lots of little short chapters that address particular ways that I act and that other people act that get in our way and offer alternatives. And, and you know, what I've been told about the writing, and, and this was true for 18 Minutes, my previous book, is it's the kind of thing that you can read and get, get um, see yourself in, and then as a result, it ends up impacting your action. And ultimately, I care most about um, my ability to help people change behavior, not just learn more or know more, which I think doesn't, you know, could be interesting, but doesn't particularly help us. Well, one thing we're learning about, Peter, is it's all about time for you, isn't it? 18 <laughs> minutes, four seconds. Yeah, exactly. Tell us about the concept behind four seconds, what you mean by that. So um, if you... Uh, if you're about to react to something, you're probably reacting out of your amygdala, which is your reptilian brain. It's the limbic system. It's been very, very useful to us for um, eons, right? When you see a saber-toothed tiger and you have that immediate instinct to run or climb a tree or I don't exactly know what you do to avoid a saber-toothed tiger, to be honest. But whatever it is that you do, like that's what you do without even thinking. The problem is that it's not particularly useful to us in modern day because there's not that many saber-toothed tigers. You know, maybe you're in the street and you get mugged and that would be really great to use that same instinct. But when, you know, let's just use the same example, when your boss yells at you or when an employee does something that you think is idiotic, that um, you have an instinct and that instinct comes out of that limbic brain. It's out of that same place. And so our goal is to allow ourselves just enough time to let the impulse move from the earlier evolutionary process, which is the limbic brain, to um, a, a more, um, uh, you know, one that's developed later on, which is your prefrontal cortex. That's the place we think from. That's the place that we use logic from. And so, it turns out that the amount of time that you need in order to let the impulse go from your limbic brain to your prefrontal cortex, from your amygdala to your prefrontal cortex, is one to two seconds. And the breath slows down your ability, your, your action. It gives you some of that time and it literally slows down the brain and gives the stimulus time to get to your prefrontal cortex. And, uh, and, and, and what I've done is I've doubled that. I've basically said, if it takes one to two seconds, I'm going to be super generous here, <laughs> and I'm going to give you a whole four seconds, right? Four seconds so that you can take a deep breath. That's about the amount of time it takes to take a deep breath, to take a deep breath, and just knowing you have those four seconds, you can still respond with the briefest of pauses, but you have four seconds, and taking that deep breath will in and of itself trigger you to think, what's the smartest move here? And that's all the amount of time that you need in order to uh, stop counterproductive habits and get the results you want. Wow. 
But, you know, I, I heard the story once of Abraham Lincoln, and they said that he used to write long letters to his generals when he was displeased with them. And he'd spend all this time writing these letters, and then he would take the letter when it was done and rip it up and throw it in the trash. And, and to me, that's kind of the same concept is taking that time not to just have this this knee jerk reaction and, and 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 respond right away, but take the time to to think things through and then maybe decide to take a different direction. Right. And in Lincoln's time, and I agree 100 percent And in Lincoln's time, writing a letter and then throwing it away was about the time frame that they operated in. But in our time, the amount of time it takes to write an angry email and hit send before you even take a breath requires that we move a lot faster to subvert that reaction. You know, Google, I don't know if they still have it, but in Gmail, they, had, they used to have a, um, a five-second pause to the delivery of an email. So you send an email, and then within five seconds, you can say, oh, my God, that was stupid, and you can pull back. You can undo send. It was an undue send. I don't know if they still have it. But it was a great example of what you're saying, which is, you know, you write the letter and you send it and then you run back and you get it from the postman so that you are postwoman so that you don't uh, end up having to send it because it's not really what the person needs to hear. Wow. Well, there's so much that entrepreneurs can get out of this. There's one other thing I wanted to, wanted to talk about with your book before I have a couple of other questions for you. But one of the one of the things you say four seconds reveal in this book is why setting goals can actually derail your performance. And we talk all the time about the importance of, of laying out some kind of plan and setting goals, but you say that can derail things. What do you mean by that? So I'll give you a specific example with an organization that I was working with, and I'm going to cloak the organization, and I'm going to change a few of the details, uh, but not the important ones. There's an organization that had a goal of, in effect selling 5,000 units of something, right? Like, let's just say a service, like they were going to sell 5,000 massages, call it that. Mm -hmm. um, that was their goal. It was a really clear goal. They had it posted on the wall. They didn't just have it posted on the wall. They had um, little massage tables. This is just an example that I'm using, but it's a true situation, but the fact that it's massage is, an, is just an example I'm using. So they had 5,000 massage tables uh, on the wall, and every time they sold a massage, they would stamp it on the wall so that everybody could see the progress. It's actually a brilliant process to track goals and get an organization really engaged in like what we're trying to accomplish. Everybody could see it. It's public. They could see the progress that we're making. It's similar to the sort of charity thermometer that tells you how close we're getting to our goal. So, so you have these goals. And then it looked like they weren't going to be able to make it. So what do they start doing? They start to sell cheaper massages. They start to bring in people who, um, you know, ultimately would not be good massage, who don't have the credit to pay for, you know, their full massage. And so now they're in a collection issue. And they, they start to do things to make their goal that are um, not supportive of the ultimate success of the organization and the organization gets in trouble because it's pursuing a goal and they really want to make their goal and there's tons of examples if you remember the pinto that exploded i mean it was a long time ago but it was the car that exploded when you when you uh rear-ended it yes um well why why was that well because they had a goal to build a and i can't remember exactly what the goal is but it was like a goal to build 2,000 cars under $2,000, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, or an under 2,000, I don't remember what it was, 
But whatever the goal was, they made the goal. And they made the goal because they made a whole bunch of shortcuts in the process of making the goal, one of which was that the car blew up, right? <laughs> so so we, we, we make these shortcuts in order to get to our goal. And the goal, um, ultimately, the pursuit of that goal derails our performance. And it's much smarter to say, you know, what, what are we going to focus? What do we care most about? And let's pursue that as opposed to make the goal the holy grail. So, yeah, so I was going to say, so that begs the question, the, you've got to say, you've, you've got to ask the bigger, broader question then. Yeah, of course, which is the question that we should all be asking, right? I mean, the question we should all be asking ultimately is, you know, what's going to make this organization successful? And, and how do I make this organization successful? And what do I do that, um, that is going to drive towards the things ultimately that we care about. You know, if you're going to use the massage school uh, example, then, you know, we care, certainly we care about revenue and profitability and things like that. But, um, but we really care about, uh, you know, supporting people's well-being. And we care that um, we have a certain quality to the, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a big one where when people pursue goals, they make the goals at the expense of quality. That's a big, that's a big one that, um, that falls out. So you have to be really clear about what your priorities are around quality because if, um, if you're not, then people will end up sacrificing quality in order, to, uh, you know, in order to achieve a goal. It's amazing because I had a discussion, this very kind of discussion with someone this morning about something, just this morning about three hours ago, and we were talking about uh, outcome-based results. And, and the discussion was, are we talking about how many hours it takes to do it? Or are we talking about what are we looking for in the end to achieve from what we're doing? Because if it's just about putting the hours in, then, then we can fake our way through this. But if it's about the outcome, that's going to be the real difference and where you can, you can separate whether we've, whether we've made a big impact or not. Right. Right. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Um, by the way, let me give you, I'll give you another couple of examples. So okay. Ken O'Brien, former New York Jets quarterback, he was throwing too many interceptions. So he was given what seemed to be a pretty reasonable goal, right? Fewer interceptions thrown. And he was penalized financially for every one. Well, it worked, right? He threw, he threw fewer interceptions, but only because he threw fewer passes. So the goal was achieved, but his performance suffered. And... Um, and you know th these are these are exactly the kinds of examples. Um, you know, Sears set a productivity goal for their auto repair staff of bringing in one hundred and forty-seven dollars for every hour of work. It motivated employees, but it motivated them to overcharge on a company-wide basis. Right? I mean, that's like this is the kind of stuff that you know just pushing for goals ends up creating. Peter, let me get back to a couple of the questions that we ask all of our guests, and because um, this is fascinating. I mean, we could be talking about this for hours, I'm sure. But uh, was there a pivotal moment in your entrepreneurial journey where you said, "Yeah, this is it. This is how I get to to my wheelhouse. This is th this is the moment where it was kind of like an aha." You know, my uh, I, I constantly have those moments, and it's why my uh, which is why I say that my career is sort of unstrategic and opportunistic. Is that um, I'm constantly looking to say, "Am I having fun? Am I making a difference? Am I doing it in a way that I'm proud? Is there a better way?" And when I make those um, 
observations and I see something, then I shift and I change in order to incorporate that stuff. And it's why my company has looked different over the years uh, and I wouldn't trade any of it. So, I, I, you know, there's not necessarily one. I mean, I guess the one major aha was going on my first camping trip and going, wow, I really love leadership and I love the outdoors and, and I really believe in leadership as an active, engaged pursuit. Um, that was probably my first big aha. But, but other than that, um, I think it's really about, um, you know, shifting, operating on my toes and shifting as I see the need. What, um, what's the best advice you were ever given or have ever been given? Um, God, I get so much advice all the time and it's really good. I think I might go with my father's advice. Hmm. that I shared earlier in the call, which is, you know, in, in if you're, um, don't run away. Don't run away from situations that you're in. Face them and deal with them where you are. And I think that's, I think it's so tempting um, to run away from things when they get super hard. And I would say that that's true for um, actual situations. I think it was true for me in college. I think it's true for actual situations in business. I think it's true for your emotions. Like, don't run away of the hard stuff, but feel them and be with them and learn to be powerful in the context of them. And that allows us to have a really strong, powerful, committed life. What's the best advice you'd give some, somebody sitting across from them at a table? Would it be the same thing? Somebody who's getting ready to consider uh, pursuing their dream or their idea and they've got this grandiose idea of something I want to do and, and I don't know if I can do it. And, and what would you say to me? I would say buy my book. No, I'm kidding. So I, what I would say, uh, you know, in that situation would be completely dependent upon what it is that they're experiencing. So, you know, I, I mean, I think advice is very context specific. Um, ultimately, I think, you know, when I give, when people ask me, should I go to business school, for example, right? I say, well, why do you want to go? Right? I kind of need to understand that before I'm able to tell them whether I think they should go or not. And if they tell me they want to be entrepreneurs, Right. And, and, you know, if this is for entrepreneurs who are listening, if they say they want to be an entrepreneur, I say, I think there's a better way for you to become an entrepreneur, which is what's it going to cost for you to go to business school? You know, I don't know what business school costs now, but $50,000 probably for two years, $60,000. Take half of that and put it in the bank. Take the other half of that and start a business. And don't spend more than that amount of money in starting the business and start any business. I don't care what business you start and struggle with it. And if you've got a business at the end, you're $30,000 ahead. If your business fails miserably and crashes and burns, you're still $30,000 ahead because you've probably learned more in that failure than you would have learned in business school for an entrepreneur. And that allows you to then get back with $30,000 to invest in your next business. So, you know, my view is do it, move forward, do things, take risks, and you know, do them in a way that doesn't kill you if you fail, because failure is a really useful part of the process. And and learn from that failure and move on. Well, Peter, we thank you very much for joining us. It's uh, been some great advice. And, and uh, just just this book, Four Seconds, your brand new book, just power packed with so much information that can help any entrepreneur who's starting out or someone who's been in business who really needs to, to refocus and, and get on their game. So we appreciate your time uh, with us today. It's my great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Where can someone find out more information about you? Where can they go? 
Um, the best way is to go to www.peterbregman, P-E-T-E-R-B-R-E-G-M-A-N.com. And there's information about the leadership intensive there. And, uh, and I only run a couple of those a year. So if, and, and one's happening in March. Uh, and then the other one is happening in November. And there's also a CEO intensive that I run in May. So that's a little bit different. Uh, it's two days instead of four days. But um, those those are really my sort of the most powerful four days or two days, and you spend them with me personally, and I really limit the numbers of people uh, who come to those. You can find out information about that. Um, the You can find out information about the book, uh, the coaching we're currently sort of closed with the coaching because we're filled up. But as you know, there's there will be a way on the website to let us know if you're interested, and and we'll be able to take your name and and as we kind of open up more spaces, we'll be able to email you and relate to you that way. Uh, but it's all on Peter Bregman, B-R-E-G-M-A-N.com. Peter, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it was a delight to have Peter with us, and I hope that uh, you could take away a lot of information from that and apply it to your personal life and your business life uh, right away. Some really good stuff there. If you want more information about Peter, visit my website, jeffwhitaker.com. Click on Entree Story Podcast tab. That's at the top of our homepage, and there you'll find links to my guest, show information, and resources as well. I also want to hear from you. If you have any questions that you would like answered from our guru guests in the future, feel free to email me with those questions. Our email address is question, question at jeffwhitaker.com. Let me know your question, and you can include your name, and if you like, your website and business name. You might even hear us mention it right here on a future episode of Entree Story. There's one other thing you can do for me. If you'll take a minute, head over to iTunes and rate our podcast. That really helps me to spread the word and it helps us let other people know about the Entree Story podcast. Tell your friends on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, whatever social media you use. I would really appreciate that. So I have this question for you. What's your story? And how will you use it to change your world and those around you this week? Until next time, I'm Jeff Whitaker, encouraging you to share your story and go out and make a difference. Thanks for listening to Entree Story. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes. Visit jeffwhitaker.com to follow Jeff's blog and find more resources. Entree Story is a production of the Jeff Whitaker Company and your Story Academy.